Loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired, to create a deeper life, to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello. I'm your host, Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Today, I'm welcoming back Ned Buzzkirk. He was with me uh, in April of 2016, previously. Ned's the creator and host of You're Going to Die, a movement to bring people creatively into the conversation of death and dying while helping to inspire and empower them to unabashedly confront loss and mortality. And by the way, they've just gotten their, their nonprofit status. The first event... The first live event was held in March on March 6, 2009 as a simple poetry night held in the golden belly of a San Francisco apartment. After that first occurrence, it quickly spilled into the community spaces of the city, filling local cafes and dark bars with the words and songs of its people. And now the live event series, You're Going to Die, Poetry, Prose, and Everything Goes is a curated, often is a curated event and sometimes an open mic event that's held every month in San Francisco's Mission District. And it's been given way to a larger manifestation of its title, one that encompasses more than simply open mic and live shows, but's now also an online international community, creatively engaging with our shared mortality and all its inevitabilities. Welcome back, Ned. Thanks, Cheryl. Good to be back on the show. Good to have you. I want to start by congratulating you because I know that um, Friday night you did your largest show ever, which um, you advertised under the name "You're Alive." Correct? Yeah. Well, the, yeah. The show the show was called "You're Alive." Um, it's a part of the "You're Going to Die" presents uh, series of curated shows, but it definitely was the biggest show to date, and I feel like that's um, appropriate considering what it took to get there. Um, most personally, you know, uh, for me, but also just the story of you're going to die and the years of growth and, and especially this last year, really since I almost like can mark, um, the story as far back as meeting with you on the show back in Mm -hmm. April of 2016, like that interview was a, uh, a special one for me. Um, I feel like it was one of, one of those conversations you have where you realize how clear you are on what something is for you and how much it matters and where it can go. Um, and, uh, so that story led to the great American music hall last Friday night, um, with 500 people, uh, celebrating life and the balance the show represented in the conversation of mortality, um, I think was especially important. Um, the balance of celebration and joy, and dancing and partying, you know, in the truth of our eventual death, uh, when all the shows so often can be kind of grief-stricken and uh, cathartic, emotionally sad and intense, sometimes mm. joyful and celebratory. But this show sure. was very much had the intention of uh, of a party that we all I deserved 
and the people there <laughs> deserved. Um, and then it's the mark of a, a new chapter, I think, for you're going to die. So in that way, it was it was a big deal too. Well, it it also intersects with something that that I experienced. You know, in these the long ten years of my wife's illness and then her death. You know, first there was fear and grief and mourning and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, the, the story of, of loss. And then there were lots of years of just very vivid living. It's, yeah. I feel there's sort of a natural, uh, when you really engage with mortality at the kind of level you and I are talking about, it actually leads to more liveliness would that be true in your experience also? Yeah. Um, I think the opening, you know, in this work, I, I think the one thing the shows can do that I confidently acknowledge, because people ask me why go to a show like this or why, you know, engage with death and dying like this. Uh, what does your show do? Does it make people like feel better about death? Well, that's not, I don't think it does that necessarily, but I think what it does do is create an opening to feel more alive. And I think in our like um, growing aliveness, we very naturally um, make room for the joy, you know, of that, the like preciousness. And um, I think one way that I've been putting it, uh, in fact, I can. I can attribute the the start of this thought to Chelsea Coleman, who's one of the musicians that uh, co-facilitates the open mics with me. Um, We were in conversation and she helped me get clear that part of what's happened is I've got, I've, I've gotten very good at grieving. I'm really great at having a broken heart. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm really good at like crying over my losses and, and Mm -hmm. being in the sorrow Um, and I think I've gotten so good at it. I'm ready to like practice some other things. Um, (laughs) and one of those things feels like right now is that I'm ready to practice, uh, gratitude and abundance and, um, joy, um, and, and all, all that, that, that I can get out of, out of living. Mm. As I told you, I spent the weekend with Francis Weller at a, at a grief ritual, uh, wonderful, incredible, marvelous, sad, joyful, musical, poetic event. <laughs> um, and he talks a lot about how there has to be gratitude and grief. Mm. Too much grief and you're bitter. Too much gratitude and you're unreal. Mm-hmm. And I, I like love that. that. Mm-hmm. I love that. You know. Me so too. that's kind of what you're talking about, that... And the other thing that came to my mind as you were speaking is that Stephen Levine, who I spent a lot a lot of time with, used to say, a broken heart is an open heart, mm-hmm. which I also yeah. very much like. Yeah, so like you're so you're you're kind of open to everything that's in there, and you're not trying to make anything go away, maybe. No, definitely not. You know, I mean, still, there's this return to those parts of us that are that are heartbroken. And, and there's a return in this work to others, you know, heartbreak and sorrow, like that, that, that always needs acknowledgement. And that's the point, I think, really, of maybe one of the main reasons you're going to die exists is to hold space for that uh, and, a, and to create a safe place for people to be heartbroken and vulnerable 
and bear their losses and and reveal those things that we've gone through that define us those mm. things that we don't get to talk about day to day maybe um in in day to day life um and that sometimes we need real intentional uh attention and focus on uh for ourselves and for others and um so that those that part of this conversation for me never goes away but it sure was nice to um you know even the friday night it started with uh tears you know and mm-hmm. um there was a piece that angela hennessy uh performed and um she, i met her doing the open mic over a year ago and actually had her perform this grief manifesto at uh, the Swedish American Music Hall when I did my event, When They Died, uh, You're Going to Die Presents When They Died back in uh, back last year in October, the end of October. Um, and her grief manifesto, you know, it, it is that calling forth of our grief. Our, it's a, uh, a declaration or a... I'm trying to think of the right word, maybe not a command, but uh, uh, the that asking that we take responsibility for our grief. The, and she performed that again, sort of a new manifestation of it at the show on Friday night. And mm-hmm. it was intense. It was quiet in that in that great American music hall. Which, which is people. notable right there. I, mm-hmm. I mean, for people who don't live in San Francisco, that is a very, um, you know, big deal venue. And usually really lively, like I've seen rock and roll there several times, you know, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. So yeah. I'm, I'm imagining that space, silent, listening. Yes. It must yeah. have been amazing. It was. I mean, before I got Angela on stage, I had to very, very directly ask the audience to, to help each other quiet down. And I promised them that if they could just be quiet for 10 minutes of Angela's share that they could party and scream and yell at each other and and uh, dance the night away for the next two hours, which which was true. But she set it up and she kind of called us forth and brought our grief forth and and helped us kind of hold that for those ten minutes and and just bring it to the forefront. And then we had a moment where, as the band that started off the party got up there, Midtown Social, we had a chance to kind of yell the names of our dead into the great American music hall. And that was how Angela's piece ended. She read, and then everyone got a chance to kind of say the names of those that they've lost. And then Midtown Social kind of carried us away into the night and Major Powers and the Lo-Fi Symphony was the band that finished the evening for us. So from then on, it was it was a party, but it started with that grief. It started with that sorrow and tears, and, and it started with making room for our dead, for sure. Hmm. Sounds very beautiful. I remember the first time that I attended one of your events, and um, I shouldn't have been surprised by this because you're a lot younger than me, but I was surprised that it was basically mostly a young crowd um, because I was young when my wife was sick. And, uh, you know... The people in our age group, like our friends eventually caught on to the thing, but <laughs> it was very isolating at first mm-hmm. because nobody was talking about death. Nobody, mm-hmm. you know, unless they were also sick. Um, but 
it seemed to me that that um, somehow you had pulled in, um, you know, people in a younger age group. Honestly, a couple of the people around me looked like they were on dates. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and I was like, wow, this is magic. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, yeah. So what do you think it is that that even gets people through the door? I, I understand why they come back, you know, because um, it's not what people imagine to sit and listen and talk about death. It's it's inspiring and deep. and But how do you think they managed to get in there the first time? Yeah, that's a, that's interesting. I, I mean, the only way I can answer that is to say that it, it must be a tricky thing um, because of how tricky it was in the beginning and sometimes still, but really in the beginning of the show series being called You're Going to Die, it was really, <laughs> it was really uh, tricky to like bring it up in conversation. Yeah. Someone what do you me, do? Like, well, I do is. this yeah. show. Yeah. Well, right. tell me about it. I have There's a lot of talking. Too. Right. A lot of talking and then finally saying what it's called, you know, and yeah. now I maybe too confidently say, well, it's called you're going to die. And mm-hmm. um, and I think that's because my understanding of it now is that it's powerful to say that um, at all. And I think people's resistance to it is a measurement actually of its potency mm-hmm. and how important a statement it is. And in that same regard, the response to it is significant. And so when I say it's called you're going to die, almost instantly I can tell whether someone has a resistance, you know, to that conversation. And in the same, in the same moment, I can also tell if someone knows it's exactly what they've been looking for. And that's what I've found about this show, that people come to it because they've been looking for it. In the beginning before they arrive, their intuition tells them, this is something you need to check out. And that might even be born from a resistance sometimes. It might even be born from someone feeling like, oh, I can't, what is that? That's crazy. Like, I can't go there. And we know deep down when we feel that way, commonly it's a good sign that, that it is like a path we need to face. And so I think the starting point of people finding out about the show before they get there, you know, that's part of it. That's, I think, what people go through. And, you know, it's hard to deny years of the show being in the city and um, growing to be this online connected community. Um, It's hard to deny uh, that it maybe isn't worth just going to see you know, and going to check out. And I think that's part of it. You know, it's just had a lot of success and the growth. And I think people uh, find curiosity. It's like, well, what is this thing? Why are people going? Why is it getting attention? Um, Especially given the name, right? (laughs) Wait, all these people want to go to a thing called you're going to die. I, I, I sort of appreciate the kind of straight on, feeling of you know obvious it's an obviously just a true statement right but it's a true statement people don't say right 
it was pretty powerful to see <laughs> after going through the experience of naming this thing, you're going to die, knowing that it needed to be called that and going through the time it took to get comfortable saying it to others to arrive Friday night and look up on the great American music hall marquee and see you're going to die <laughs> in life. Oh my gosh. So that was pretty, gotta, uh, pretty If you tough. haven't already, you got to post a picture of that, right? I have, I have, I have. I definitely like got a picture of me in front of this audience of 500 and a picture of the marquee. It was like the two pictures I knew I, I wanted to share of me in that space and of those words up in those lights. And there was a moment to start the show. And it's, I think, you know, by now it's a way that a lot of the shows are started, most of them, especially the open mic. But it's that moment where I ask everyone to not say you're going to die, but to say I'm going to die. And we all started the night off on Friday together saying, on the count of three, I'm going to die. And that was particularly powerful and potent to hear all those people in that space declare that. I can I can imagine that. I'm, I'm imagining it in my head right at this moment. Um, just the communal aspect as well that um, there's something so, you know, we had maybe some similar experiences this weekend of being in community with the facts of life and sharing that is so powerful. Mm, Yeah. Wow. We're already at our first break, Ned spinning by goes quick. (laughs) Yeah. We'll be, we'll be coming back in a couple of minutes and I, and I would like to talk, I think when we get back uh, of course, more about this and also just about, uh, the music project that you um, that's that's kind of probably going to be a part of this nonprofit too because I think that's also a very powerful um, aspect of your work so we'll we'll go that way when we come back and listeners you can find links to my website social media at the good grief pace page at voice America Please be in touch. I'd love to know what you resonate with on the show, what touches you and what helps. And to find Ned Buzzkirk, you can either search You're Going to Die or you can go to yg2d.com. Be back soon. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. 
Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. I'm your host, Cheryl Jones, and I've been talking with Ned Buskirk, the founder of a... Um, now non-profit, um, previously a series of, of um, performance nights called You're Going to Die. And before the, the break, Ned, um, I, I had mentioned wanting to talk about this other music project that, that is, is a part of your vision as well, mm-hmm. which I encountered when we were both um, floating ideas on the open IDEO um, end of life challenge, mm-hmm. um, and so I, I of course, was completely captured by your um, your idea, and I and I'm hoping you'll you'll share about it and kind of is the ways it might be developing what you mm-hmm. have in mind for that project as well. Yeah, well, I think it's another marker. Uh, while this idea was born back in October um, uh, during Open IDEO's reimagining uh, end of life undertaking, um, it's really the time of its its existence aligns importantly with this nonprofit shift. Obviously, just in terms of what. A, you know, new manifestations of you're going to die look like with funding and grants. Um, but also it aligns with this chapter of you're going to die that depends on other people to, to, um, to, to have it be in the world, any, you know, anywhere beyond where I've, I've brought it. Um, and I think that's kind of the curious point that we're at now mm. um, with this nonprofit uh, status and the the board for the nonprofit being put together and the open mics and the curated shows that are all kind of growing out of it. Well, the music at the end of life project is is similar. And, and so it's going to depend on musicians and, and people that are involved in the nonprofit to kind of see where it can go. And that feels really special that it's not just going to be my idea. Um, it's going to be something that's shared by a group of people who want to make it a reality. Um, and essentially it, it is like most of the you're going to die undertakings, a creative endeavor. Um, it's a project born out of the, the ideas for the live event series. It's a project born out of the work I've done in hospice for years and years. 
and uh, out of the potential for musicians volunteering to sit with patients and their communities and play music for those patients. And then um, out of the weeks and weeks and months and months that sometimes you, you volunteer for hospice patients, the relationships that are, are cultivated during those times, the musicians would write original song work out of those relationships and those times. And that new music would be funneled back into the live event series, uh, the curated shows that You're Going to Die um, does here in the city and, and possibly eventually elsewhere. Um, not just in San Francisco, but maybe some other markets. Um, but the idea would be to really give some attention to legacy and um, and give some creative uh, juices flowing to what what I think is sometimes missing when we look out into the world. It's how we're represented or um, how we're honored after we're gone. And to have a hospice project that gets the musicians I know and love that are really great at what they do, making music for patients that are dying every day, um, and then having concerts where people can come and kind of revel in these humans and the music born from their lives, um, that sounds like uh, an experience that I want to be a part of. And so that's the idea. Um, And and, uh, it seems inevitable that that'll it'll end up as a part of what you're going to die is doing in the world well i'll tell you some of what really captures me about it uh, i've i've all i've you know my my kind of byword in my own head has always been um that and this came out of my wife's death um death ends a body not a relationship and um I mean, my relationship with her is in an incredibly different form, <laughs> for sure, mm-hmm. but it still exists, and mm-hmm. I've never tried to cut that off. I've, I've always valued it, um, and I, I interviewed a woman named Lorraine, Lorraine Hetke, uh, who has written a lot about how to prime the continuation of the relationship while the person is still alive, but you know they're going to die, um, how to have conversations and and create moments where the person um, lets the people who love him or her know how they want to be carried into life after their death. Mm-hmm. And um, everyone developing a sense of direction about how the relationship's going to continue, which I find wonderful. Um, she's written a children's book, uh, with her daughter about her mother who died before her daughter about her daughter's relationship with her mother and her mother died before her daughter was born but they've really cultivated that relationship mm. all along so when I heard about this music project it it intersected so vividly with with that idea of um, this relationship is going to continue and here is a musical container for that fact. Yeah. That's yeah. what I thought of. And it, it's, it's beautiful. Yeah, I like that connection. And so the, the musicians, I assume, are people who've already, uh, you know, the people who are considering doing this, they've already been a part of your project 
you know, your shows and that they have their own reasons then for being drawn to do that? Yeah. You know, I mean, more than half the people that are uh, on the board for the new nonprofit are musicians that I've met doing the show. And so their investment runs deep in what you're going to die is up to. And they'll likely be the first musicians to undertake the the work of volunteering with the hospice patients. And um, and that's all it's going to start start with is just two, three, four musicians who want to start doing hospice volunteering. And then, then it's just a matter of having a hospice program that can make um, – while while needing the the involvement of musicians in in their hospice programs needs to be intentional and thoughtful and there needs to be training it also you know needs to have like a ease of a streamlined ease to it too um and it just kind of depends on the hospice program uh as to you know who we get in partnership with to to start uh getting these musicians meeting every week um with patients that are under their care. Um, but yeah, likely the, and you know, first manifestations of the project will come from musicians that I already know that already are completely invested and believe in what you're going to die is up to and what this, the potential of this project, this particular hospice project. Well, the other aspect to me, um, you know, I've I've sung a few people out of this life at this point, um, at being a musician myself, and uh, I've I've kind of been collecting curious facts about music. For instance, the part of your brain that hears music is the last part to die. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, things like that are very mm. powerful, right? Mm. That mm-hmm. so you have this song that's been created with this family, which they then can sing to the person when they're dying. Mm-hmm. I I don't know if that's ever happened, but that's where my mind went. You know, well, I, yeah, I think that pot- that potential is there. This idea that the patient is seeing the thing, seeing their legacy get created while they're still there, that seems really really potent, you know? Um, and I, I know I mentioned this already when I, when I first described this to you just now, but this idea that one thing I feel like I personally is missing and, and I think culturally can be missing sometimes is for us to really see where our dead are in the world. And you mentioned Stephen Jenkinson. Um, you know, a lot of his work kind of focuses on that piece, the terror um, and fear we have of disappearing and um, the possibility of projects like this being the start of a reintegration of ancestry, starting to see ourselves become ancestors in the songs of the people um, because of the magic that's of, available and possible in that act. Um, and that's another piece of this too, you know, in all the years that I've done hospice volunteering, um, the sacred space of dying and to use another, um, sacred act in the world, like music, the way music can be sacred and magical to capture the ends of our lives 
there seems so much there that I that I imagine and that I think must be beyond my imagination. And I think my knowing of that is born from doing these shows and watching people get vulnerable and open themselves up to mortality and see musicians come and fill in those spaces with their songs and make the connections in startling, serendipitous, coincidental maybe, but probably just plain magical, sacred, um, mm. you know, uh, ways. Yes. Uh, Francis Weller is on my mind since I spent the weekend with him and, and he just came in again. He would say the ancestors need us to grieve, that their food is our tears. Mm. And so when we grieve, um, they are um, fed. Mm. And can do the work that ancestors do, whatever we believe that to be. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I love that idea. Mm-hmm, that me too. I've heard something of, like that before. Some, some kind of um, mutual use mm. to to grief. Yeah, um, it's just a beautiful idea. No matter what you believe, you know, mm. <laughs> whether they're there or not, it's a beautiful way to feel about our tears. Well, you know, I, some people could get into that. Um, conversation and I've certainly found myself go there before where it's like well where are these ancestors are they real um but the truth is like their existence is as much about us making the space for them as it is them being anywhere at all and like I have noticed in the shows when we say on Friday night when we call the names out of our dead the act of saying my mother's name into the space the shared space of community, someone would say, you legitimately called her forth and she's now here and she can she can feed on your tears, let's say. Mm-hmm. Um, but someone else might just be able to say, it's, it's far, maybe it's more simple than that. Maybe it is just that you calling the name is like her presence in your being and around you. But it's almost—it almost doesn't matter. Um, it's, it doesn't. So with you about that, it should be a big question mark. You know, that's what sacred things are like. They do, we don't know, but we're willing to still go forth and take the actions and open the doors. That's what I love about death and dying. It has that quality to it that returns us to when we were children. Like we see a rainbow and we're in awe, and we don't need to know the science of why. We are baffled, and it's amazing. And death still holds that. And our, the idea of where we go and where our ancestors now, it still holds that big unknown. So it's not worth it to go forth and figure it out. It's worth it to go and be in the unknown and see what magic you know, can happen there. Um, I think that that's really, really important. It's at least it's an important part of my life, for sure. I think we're I think we're so in the realm of maybe what's important in the world about being able to grieve because what you're expressing is a kind of non-resistance to mm. loss mm-hmm. uh, a way of being with it that doesn't have to have all the questions answered and you can just be with it whatever it is, whatever experience. I I feel as if a lot of what's going on in our world right now, all the conflict and all of that is is actually a resistance to that maybe. 
that um, we want to have control and we want to, you know, <laughs> have things turn out a certain way and we don't want to lose stuff. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I really connect those two things and something in what you said uh, intersected with that idea. Yeah. That, that coming to something like the worst losses, you know, the the people we don't want to say goodbye to, but then finding wonder in the experience of engaging with that loss um, is liberating, isn't mm-hmm. it? Yeah. Yeah, I think it is. Um, it's hard, you know, I get that. Um, but, yes. you know, a lot of... Don't want to skip that part. <laughs> exactly, you know. Yeah. And, and so it's, it's like I understand, I understand, because I understand my own resistance. I understand what gets charged in me when I, um, you know, face my eventual death. You know, it's there, it's a lot, and it can be overwhelming. Um, and then, you know, thinking about... Uh, the work done in the conversation of death and dying um, and books like Ernest Becker's Denial of Death, I think you're right on. You know, a lot of what that book speaks to and a lot of other literature um, is that our resistance uh, to our death and mortality, you know, it creates a lot of the unrest that we that we deal with in the world. Um, I think you're right. A lot of what we see going on in the world around us now I, could be attributed, you know, deeply to that struggle. Um, I think certainly you're, an think aspect. Right it's of course the aspect I would be looking at, given what I do. Sure. Well, me, me <laughs> but, too. I mean, I want to look at it that way. You know, I want to think that um, uh, the people that are causing pain in others, like really, it's that they can't face that, like that pain and heartbreak and struggle really truly in themselves you know it's mm-hmm. it's just been buried so deep and so where is it going to go you know but maybe into causing pain and in, in others lives that's a great place to break for our second break and when we get back you know this keeps um growing and deepening for you and uh you've talked about that's how that's intersected with uh your capacity for grief and and uh, facing that, I wonder how it's changed your life because you're now kind of immersed, aren't you? Mm-hmm. So let's let's start talking with that when we come back. Great. And listeners, again, you can go to my website or social media. You can link to everything on the Good Greet page at Voice America. And to find Ned Buskirk, you can either search "You're Going to Die" or go to yg2d.com. Back soon. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Explore the power of natural healing with Howard Strauss. Join us each week for an informative program that'll help you learn effective healing methods using natural remedies. Howard's guests include top researchers, authors, and experts who will share their views on a variety of natural products and healing methods that really work. Tune in to The Power of Natural Healing with Howard Strauss, Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. 
We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Real Life Solutions, Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. I'm here with Ned Buskirk, the founder of You're Going to to Die, the nonprofit, and um, we've been talking about the shows that he puts on with that title and other uh, the music work he's doing. And uh, Ned, you know, before the break, I said I'd like to talk some about how um, this growing um, life of its own uh, project. And and I when we talk, I feel the serendipity of it, the kind of life of its own, evolving nature. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe I'm projecting that, but I no, I don't think no, so. No, I, I think <laughs> um, you're right. And then so, uh, I mean, for me with this show, it's it's I'm different than I was before I started doing it. Mm-hmm. I've been I've been changed by it. Yeah. Uh, in in really positive ways, and then there's the work of it. There's the fact that I have to go. You know, I really have to make sure I have places to grieve, mm. um, where I'm not holding it for anybody but me. <laughs> you know. Yeah. And I just I just wondered. Um, uh, you know how it's affected you to do this work. You were just mentioning, um, I think it was on the break, that you did the show Friday and you have another one Thursday and how daunting that is in a way. Yeah. Even though wonderful. And I wondered if you'd be willing to talk about that sort of personal level of the work and the, you know, what it takes to do it. Sure. I mean, there, there, there's, there's a lot to doing You're Going to Die that, that um, feels like a calling, you know, and in that way, it seems undeniable to move forth. And you're right, there is a life of it that pulls me along, you know, as if it's making decisions on its own about where it, could, where it must go next. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and I need to like heed those, those, those calls um, but, uh, but that's really hard in a life with a family and needing to make ends meet in one of the, the more expensive cities in the world. And, um, and on top of that, like I was speaking to before the break, this, the idea of how hard it is to confront these, these heartbroken parts of ourselves, um, 
you know, Friday night was incredible. Um, it really filled me up and it changed me in ways that I really needed. Like the gift I got back from it was in all the work I put into it was tremendous, but it was like quite a journey arriving there. I mean, even the week leading up to it, there was a 24 hour period where it's just, you know, it, it, there's a crossover to the burden that the work can be getting the word out and producing the show and all that. And then that's like part of the cycle of my own personal relationship with grief and with the show that I have to go through because that's how the show is. It is this personal journey. It's me working through things, putting my own like being uh, vulnerably forth uh, into the world. And so already um, after the show on Friday, I have another show on Thursday. Well, it doesn't, there's not, it's not like my resistance to suddenly having a show within less than a week it's new just because it's less than a week away. Every show that I do, I can feel myself resisting mm. um, opening and, and putting myself in, in that space again. Um, but I'll tell you always, 100% of the time, e- even though I resist it, you know, repeatedly, always I leave like feeling more alive and, feeling like the gift, you know, I've received the gift of someone else, like the other humanity that comes and meets me there. Um, like all the shows do, um, a bunch of people doing their own work. And I think that's part of where the ease and the revelation comes and the answers maybe start to come more is when you go, you say, fine, I will go forth. I will go in to be at this show or I will go to therapy or I will like go to that grave site and weep before my, you know, for my dead mom. You know, when we put ourselves out like that, then suddenly, then we maybe get understanding as to why we need to, but it won't come right away. It actually mm-hmm. asks that you make those, those, take those actions without knowing why, um, and, and that it's, it's, it's almost more valuable that you take it, um, not knowing <laughs> and, <laughs> and getting through the resistance, uh, uh, to arrive at the reward, you know, um, is part of it. I feel you might also be talking a bit about how, uh, you know, uh, I was, I was just listening to Francis this weekend talking about a man named Melodoma Somme, mm-hmm. who um, he learned a lot from in terms of grief ritual. He's from Burkina Faso in Africa. And in his village, they have a grief ritual every week. Right. It's just part of what you do. Right. And I'm and so glad you, I'm so glad you're bringing this up, by the way. And they have like, no, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> They, they just cannot understand what's the matter with us. Well, you know, I just finished Maladoma's book of Water and the Spirit, and it, it, it deeply affected me. I mean, I couldn't get through three pages of that book without weeping or just sitting with my jaw hanging open, just the unbelievability of what he went through. And then, you know, the Dagara tribe, I'm the whole chapter, especially about his grandfather's funeral um, in that book, I, I recommend it to anyone. Yeah, uh, he's, he's a pretty incredible, incredible. Uh, person. But just to one hear thing. the reminder, you know, uh, there is that part where it's like, oh my gosh, you know, there was a time when I when I would have said doing two open mics a month because I used to just do one open mic a month. Now there's two, and there has been all this year, and every single one of those open mics sells out. 
the fact that there's a show within less than a week of this big celebration at Great American Music Hall, you just reminded me maybe why and that that in a way that I maybe didn't get until you said those words, like this idea that we should be returning that regularly, that often. It could be every week. It should be every day. And to quote Angela Hennessy, um, who I mentioned performed at the Great American Music Hall, I recommend people to look her name up on Google and find a recording from my show I did with her back in October, uh, the recording of her grief manifesto where she says, grieve all the time, grieve what, whenever you can with whatever you're doing, just say why and say that you're grieving. When you're washing the dishes, say that you're grieving and say who you're grieving for in all the ways you can with all your life. And um, that those words, especially in that whole 10 minute long piece, resonate with me and come up now, as you mentioned Maladoma's work, and you remind me maybe why I have to do this show tomorrow night after only six days <laughs> have passed since this big show I just did yeah, um, on well, Friday. I mean, so the, thank you for that. You are very welcome. And there's another part of that, which is that that is in context. You know, there's no bucking the system when they go to do their grief ritual every week. It is the system. Mm-hmm. Right. And so to me, there's a, there's a kind of um, uh, cost that our culture is not geared that way, that, that those of us that, you know, every week do a radio show or twice a month do the, the you're going to die nights, that is actually contrary to what's going on in a lot of the world around us. Mm. And I do think that's got a, uh, a, um, a little bit of an exhaustion quotient or, you know, we have to buck up to do it a little bit maybe. Or mm. I don't know how to put it, but um, it takes some, some fortitude maybe or some determination in a mm. way that if that's the way our culture was organized – it wouldn't. Yeah. It just, you know, come together to the center of town every week and right. do what we do every week. And, you know, the kids well, will be running around and all yeah, that. Right. Yeah. There's this feeling that I had reading uh, of Water in the Spirit that actually, you know, it, it started with something like what you just described. Almost a resentment to a society in our culture that doesn't have something set up for me when I turned 12 years old to go through rituals to become a man. Mm-hmm. Um, that was my first feeling about it. And then it kind of dawned on me a little later on, maybe still reading the book, but certainly doing the You're Going to Die work, that the power in doing that stuff when it isn't a part of our system, is profoundly available. It's available in a way that it maybe wouldn't be if I didn't have the choice, you know, and I just at 12 years old started doing like a ritual to become a man. And then every week we had a grief ritual that we all had to do every week. There's something about choosing it when no one else is asking us to do it, that it's completely up to us. And, and in that way, there seems something, you know, significantly available uh, um, for us to implement these rituals when 
uh, someone's not doing them for us. And and I do think there's part of you're going to die success. And I wonder if you maybe have an experience of this, but like, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a grief counselor. I'm, you know, I'm not a nurse. I, you know, the hospice work I do is as a volunteer, but I think part of the power of me doing you're going to die and the success of you're going to die is that I'm just, uh, I'm just one of your community members who decided mm-hmm. that I needed this thing in my life. And that's it. And that's all that it is born from. I, you know, it's not like I went to school to, to bring this into the world. It came out of me just being this guy who needed this thing. And it almost seems uh, more special in a way because of that and more available to others to partake in. And it's another reason why it's a nonprofit. You know, it's because that's a continuation of this idea that you're going to die. These rituals, these shows are ours to share. And the nonprofit is like part of that setting structure up to really make that clear in a business way, you know. Mm. That's very captivating. I remember when when um, marriage equality happened, when the Supreme Court uh, <laughs> allowed me to marry. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> I was already married. I married in Canada, but it was legalized then. And I had this prayer that just spontaneously came to my head. Um, don't let people lose what marriage means Mm. don't let them do it unconsciously Mm. because I'd had to think about it so much because I didn't have the right you know I didn't have uh, so I thought why would I want to you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) why does it matter and it's the same kind of feeling I'm very clear why it mattered to me Mm. because I didn't have it Mm. yeah and uh, that feels similar to what you're saying yeah I agree that this impulse towards what we need as human beings that we have to we have to grab back right has a lot of power I I I put it to people this way that um it's up to us to take responsibility for our death um now Mm. Each now, <laughs> now mm-hmm. and then now and then now and then now and then mm-hmm. now. On and on. Absolutely, on and on. Well, um, we should say just for local people where your Thursday event is, although it's probably sold out already, right? No, I, I don't. I think because we didn't even announce this show until after Friday, which is another interesting part of it is getting people to go to something that you only announced like four days ago. <laughs> um, so there are seats, uh, spots still available. Um, this one has not sold out yet. It'll be nice. Maybe if it doesn't, maybe it'll be a little spacious and different in that way. But and, and they can it's go at the to lostchurch.com. The Lost Church. Or oh, tickets are beautiful. available. You can go to yg2d.com. Tickets are available through there too. Fantastic. Ned, it's been great being with you again. I, I just, I just really want to keep up with what you do, and I'm glad that the um, previous conversation we had was meaningful for you. Mm. Um, I know you're going to go surprising directions, and I can't wait to see. <laughs> sure, thank you so much. So good you're to talk welcome. to you. Again. You too. Next week, I'll have Mary Matteson, author of Dying to Make a Difference. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. 
Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Abre mi corazón.